0: We are in our final week this morning looking at the Psalms. We've been looking at the Psalms this summer because they help us to connect with God. And they really cover the the full range of human emotions. That's why they're particularly helpful in this. Um, The theologian John Calvin called them an anatomy of all parts of the soul. Uh, That um, whatever real life uh, feelings and emotions you're experiencing there is a psalm that gives you a language to bring that before the Lord. And so we've been looking at different types of psalms throughout the summer. We're looking at Psalm 27 this morning, which you can find in your bulletin or in a Bible if you have one. Do you remember the first time that you jumped off a diving board? Uh, for some of you, it could have been like this summer. Um, for others of you, maybe it, maybe it was a little bit longer ago, but, but you remember that feeling of... Um, You know, climbing up this ladder that felt impossibly big and the long walk out to the edge of the diving board, um, the subtle creaky bounce when you're standing on the edge of the diving board. And you're standing there, and you know, what is normally, the the feeling of being in a swimming pool, it's, it's a fun, exciting feeling, but that fun sort of fades into the background as you're standing there thinking about jumping off this diving board. And it's just you and maybe it's three feet between the diving board and the water below you, but it feels like about 12 feet, and your heart starts racing, and you're just confronted with that question, do I really want to do this? Uh, one of my favorite things to do at our pool is to watch like the little, little kids learn to go off the diving board. Um, you'll see them watching um, their friends and the older kids do it, and then they'll finally get up the courage to want to go over to the diving board and jump off. And, and they'll, they'll do that, what I just described, you know, they'll make the long climb up the ladder. And some of these are like little, little kids. I've seen, I'm looking at some of you, I've seen your children with like floaties, barely able to walk, start going on these diving boards. But they'll make the long climb up the ladder, the long walk out on the diving board, and they're standing there. And um, you can sort of um, instantly tell there, there, are, there are two, um, there are varying levels uh, of fear ...and confidence within these children that stand there. Some kids are just fearless and they just run off the diving board... ...and they don't stop running and they run straight into the water. And they get out and they just keep going over and over again... ...and they're, just, they're in from the beginning. And there are other kids where it takes them a long time... ...and they will just stand out there and they're almost paralyzed... ...feeling all alone, wondering, if I do this... ...if I lean into this fear, am I going to be Okay. And that's a fear that sticks with us, that we keep experiencing throughout our lives. It's this fear of, in the midst of this really scary thing, am I going to be okay? Whatever it is in life, if I do this thing, if this thing doesn't happen, um, if I move forward into this new territory in my life, am I going to be okay? And that fear can absolutely control us. Um, It can dictate how we live. It can even set our life's trajectory. One of my favorite questions to ask is, what would you do if you weren't afraid? Um, Because it quickly reveals the ways in which fear is controlling our lives. Um, That there are things that we dream of doing that we're not currently doing because we're afraid. Or things we ought to be doing that we're not doing because we're afraid of the consequences of that. Psalm 27 meets us in our fear and it helps us to connect with God in confidence. You can find it in your bulletin. I'm going to read it for us, beginning in verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. The Word of the Lord. Father, we do indeed thank You for Your Word, and we pray now that You would speak to us. What we need most is to hear from you and to know you. So Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, three headings that I want to think about this psalm under this morning. Uh, The first is our fears, and secondly, our safety, and third, our one thing. First, Our fears. Um, All right, so there are maybe two types of fears that we commonly experience in life. Probably more than that, that, but we'll just name two for our purposes. Um, One type of fear would be sort of the big, catastrophic, lifetime fears. Um, Those fears in our minds that that, um, are just the big, catastrophic things that we desperately hope will never happen to us. And those could be different um, depending on your situation in life and who you are. Um, It could be the fear of of losing a spouse, of a spouse dying unexpectedly, or a child dying. Or maybe if you're single, it could be the fear of never getting married. Uh, It could be uh, getting an injury uh, that leaves you physically disabled for the duration of your life. Uh, Maybe it's the fear of losing all of your wealth. Um, Big fears that we just hope will never happen to us. And then there are uh, more kind of subtle fears that give us just everyday low grade anxiety. Um, things like do I really fit in with these people? Do my friends really like me or do they just let me tag along? Am I a good mom or am I ruining my kids? Uh, am I a fraud? It's just going to be found out eventually. Does my career and work have any meaning whatsoever? Do I look okay? Uh, my body, my clothes, my house. Um, and whether it's the, the, the big catastrophic kind of lifetime fears or those low-grade anxieties, fear can be dominant in our lives. Uh, Brene Brown talks about how living in fear actually stifles creativity. That there's been all these studies done on this. She says, ...that creativity, quote, "...lives within us until it's expressed, neglected to death, or suffocated by resentment and fear." She says that in her research, she has found that fear suffocates creativity. And you know this if you've ever worked in an environment where the person in charge used fear as a management tactic... Uh, To scare employees into doing a good job. Or maybe it was a teacher or a coach that scared students or athletes uh, into performing better. Do those employees or students or athletes ever feel empowered to be creative and learn and grow and try new things? No way. Fear kills all of that. It's as if we can't even think straight when we're afraid. So the question is, what do we do with our fears? Look at verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Okay, so in this psalm, David is wrestling with his fears before God. Um, And it seems as though his fears are based on the opposition he's facing from others. Verses 2 and 3, he talks about evildoers assailing him to, quote, eat up his flesh. Pretty intense. Um, He talks about his adversaries, his foes, uh, an army encamping against him so this is likely actual enemies who want to do actual harm to him by earthly standards he's not safe and it's very understandable that this type of fear a big threat of being killed would dictate how you live and would absolutely control your life and we can understand that but our smaller fears control us as well Um, what do you do when you're at a restaurant and they bring out the wrong dish ...or the wrong drink. What do you do? Months ago, I was sitting at the Starbucks on Augusta... ...and I had my earplugs in, trying to do some work. Earplugs, not AirPods. AirPods are normal. Earplugs are not normal to have in in public. But nonetheless, I had them in. I could still hear it was so noisy. Um, I was sitting so close to this counter... ...where they gave customers the drinks at the Starbucks... ...that I could hear all these interactions that were happening. And over the course of my few hours there... two types of people emerged... I'm always hesitant to say that there are two types of people in the world, but there might just be two types of people in the world. Um, one type of person, when served the wrong drink, or maybe the drink wasn't made well, it didn't taste right, these people would come back to the counter and say, um, yes, you know, I ordered a latte, uh, but you made the wrong drink. This isn't a latte. Something You did something wrong with this. Please fix it. And the barista would very graciously hear it, receive it, and go and make a better drink, come back. And they'll, they, they take it and they're on their way. But it, in that situation, it was the barista's fault. There was another type of person that emerged over the course of my time sitting there. It was those who were served the wrong drink and they would come up to the counter a bit more hesitantly, even with a bit of fear, and say, um, yes, hi, first of all, thank you. Thank you for the great work you're doing. You're super busy and I'm just really grateful for everything you've done. Um, I meant to order a latte. I think I ordered another drink on accident. I'm sure this was my fault. Um, And you might be too busy to do this, but if you wouldn't mind, would it be possible to get a latte? Can you you get a latte? And the barista takes the latte, they they do the thing, and you get the drink, and you're on your way. Those are the two types of people that emerge. But there's also a third type of person who got the wrong drink and was just so terrified that they never even went back up there. They just miserably drank this drink that they did not order, but they yet still paid for. Um. For two out of the three people in that scenario, fear is in the driver's seat. Fear of upsetting someone, fear of getting it wrong, fear of conflict. Fear dictates so much in our lives. How does this psalm meet us in our fears? It gives us words to talk to God about our fears. There's a reason why God gives us a psalm that helps us to deal with our fear. There's a reason why the Bible says so many times, do not fear. Because fear is very much a part of the fallen world in which we live. It all goes back to Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve's disobedience against God, which sent them and all of the rest of humanity plummeting into rebellion and fracture. Because of that, fear is an ever-present reality for us. But God loves us so much, He gave us words to pray about that fear, to talk to Him about it. So what if we used Psalm 27 and began to pray like this? God, I'm so afraid of messing up my kids. I've made real mistakes, but I also know I'm really in my head about this. I just confess that I'm really afraid of ruining my kids. Or what if we prayed... God, the health situation of someone I love is making me so scared. I'm worried I'm going to lose him. This fear is consuming me. Help me. God gives us words to pray our fears. And that's what David is doing in Psalm 27. Um, But we see that God doesn't just invite us to acknowledge our fears to him. He also tells us that we are safe in the midst of our fears. Let's look at our safety. What do we learn about our safety? We see the source of our safety and the purpose of our safety. First, the source of our safety. Again, verses 2 and 3. When evildoers assail me to eat at my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet yet I will be confident." Um, Okay, so these are real fears, Uh, but about those evildoers and adversaries and foes, he says it is yet they who will stumble and fall. Though there's this entire army coming after David, though war arises around him, he's not going to fear, he's going to be confident. Why? Because God keeps him safe. The assumption behind the way that David is talking to God is that yes, these are very real, legitimate fears, but when you know God, you actually have nothing to be afraid of. Why? God is our safety. Look at the protection he offers us in verse 5. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. Um, We're safe because God hides us. There's something that feels so safe about hiding. Uh, Think about the image of a small child in a social situation with their parents kind of hiding behind the leg of a parent, not wanting to kind of be exposed and have to talk to people. Um, Or a child having a a bad dream, pulling the blankets over your head. Or you just not wanting to do life, and you just pull the blankets over your head in the morning and not get out of bed. There's something that feels so comforting and so safe about hiding. Um, And then look at verse 1. It says that God is our light, our salvation, our stronghold. One commentator says that light is the ultimate antidote to fear. And we have a crawl space under a portion of our house. And, you know, you may have seen these incredible ads on TV for these companies that will, like come and totally like they basically renovate your crawl space. You know, they'll clean it out. They will get all the old scary stuff out of there and they'll... Um, They'll seal it off with this beautiful, like, white, thick plastic tarping. They'll put lights on in there. You can have a light switch in your crawl space. Um, And they'll insulate it. They'll they'll almost make it livable. It's really amazing. So imagine that. Imagine the opposite of that. That is our crawl space in our house. Um, Our crawl space is utterly terrifying and gross. It's dark. Um, There are mice that come and go as they please. There's like this abandoned old hot water heater and some other mechanical equipment that is just rotting in there. I have no idea why it's there. A few months ago, I saw a six-foot black snake slither from our porch straight into our crawl space, making his home in there. Um, There have been a few occasions where I've had to open the door to the crawl space, and I'm completely terrified when I have to do that. Why? Because it's dark, and I don't know what's in there. It's like the most unknown and scary thing in our house. Light takes away the fear of the unknown. And God is light. He sees everything. Psalm 139 says that even darkness is not dark to God. That darkness is like light to God. Because He is light. And and not only does He see everything, but He knows everything. Everything. Um, There have been so many small moments with my children where they get anxious or afraid about something, and they instantly ask me if I know what's going on. And if I, as their father, am able to explain to them, yeah, here's what's going on. If I can explain to them, even if they don't understand it themselves, they are instantly at peace because they're connected to the one who knows. Um, There's an unbelievable feeling of safety that comes from being connected to the one who knows what's going on, even if we don't fully understand it. Um, Whatever scary thing you are facing right now, in your life, it's likely that a major reason why that is scary is because you just don't fully know what's going on. You don't fully understand it. It feels out of your control. You feel like you're at this thing's mercy. But whatever that thing is, God knows exactly what's going on. And he doesn't just know what's going on, he's actually in control of what's going on. I know that can raise a lot of questions. There's a lot of mystery there. But there is also great comfort on that opposition that you're facing right now. That health diagnosis that you're waiting to hear back on. The relational dynamic that's just leaving you in knots. The financial distress. The upcoming change in schools. Whatever scary thing you're facing, God knows. He knows it perfectly. He's the source of our safety. Uh, But safety unto what? Um, It's really easy to engineer our lives to where we just are living for our comfort. To structure our lives where everything contributes to us being more comfortable. Um, And certainly the alleviation of our fears, it it would lead to an easier life. For sure. Um, But what's the end or purpose of the safety that we find in God? Um, Do you notice in our passage the active ways in which David is seeking and following the Lord? Look at verse 4. He talks about wanting to seek after God. He talks about dwelling in the house of the Lord, gazing upon the beauty of the Lord, inquiring in His temple. Verse 6, he says, He will offer in His tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. He will sing and make melody to the Lord. He's he's praising God. He's worshiping Him. Verse 7, he's praying. Verse 8, he's seeking God's face. David is not just looking for an easier life or greater comfort. He wants this safety because he wants more of God. He wants to be in his presence without fear of his enemies literally killing him. He wants to worship, to pray, to be in deeper, more committed relationship with God without the massive distraction of armies coming after him. Um, If you find yourself desperately trying to alleviate any negative thing from happening to you or to your loved ones now or in the future, why are you doing that? Is it so God can more truly and fully be your God? Or is it so that you can be God? Um, Where you're at the center, where you're controlling everything, where you're calling the shots. Um, You know, this interesting thing can happen when we're forced to pray and cry out to God in the midst of the really hard, scary stuff we face in life. It's in those desperate moments where we can experience intimacy with God like we've never experienced before. And we don't wish those moments on ourselves the scary things, or or on other people, but we can actually grow to love that dependence and intimacy of needing God and crying out to him that that scary thing, that scary situation forced upon us. And sometimes if things clear up when they do, we lose that intimacy. We stop praying. We stop crying out because we're not scared anymore. Um, After a child is comforted from their fears, they leave their parents' lap and they go off on their own. Sometimes without realizing it, we're trying to engineer our lives into a position where we just don't need God anymore. We get our health under control. We get our finances in the right spot. We get our career trajectory lined up and rolling. We get our house renovated. We get our friendships clearly defined and consistent. Um, We just work to get everything lined up and structured in such a way that we just no longer need God and no longer have to depend on Him. But then we can go back to this illusion of of independence and being in control and handling things on our own. We do the same thing with our fears. Get rid of the big scary stuff so we no longer have to be needy, independent, and trust God, but we can go back to handling things on our own. The purpose of our safety offered to us in God is so that we might know more of God. Deeper relationship with Him. More bandwidth to pour ourselves out for Him. Uh, but if that's going to be the case, we need to know what our one thing is in our lives. Because navigating through life's scary moments certainly exposes it. Let's talk about our one thing. Look at verse 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. David's one thing is God. To seek God, to dwell with God, to gaze upon the beauty of God, to inquire, to know more about God. You could say his one thing is his main thing. It's his ultimate guiding reality in life. The thing he truly worships. And for David, it's all-consuming. Verse 7, he's crying out to God. Verse 8, he's seeking God's face. Verse 9, he begs God not to distance from him. He wants deeper intimacy. Verse 10, he says that even if his mother and father forsake him, God will take him in. On that verse, the late scholar Derek Kidner says this is likely hypothetical. But he's saying that even if it comes to that where his own family forsakes him, that God will still be there for him. God will still take him in and that would be enough. Verse 11, he wants to know God's ways to be led by him. In this psalm, David's one thing is to know God and it's all-consuming. I worked with someone years ago in ministry that gave me the first bit of important feedback that I received about what it's like to work with me in ministry. And he said, Jonathan, um, one thing I've realized about you is that you're constantly creating hype around things that you get into. He said, you're a hype man. And I'd never heard this before, but he was absolutely right. Uh, Whether it's like the latest band that I'm listening to, the TV show I'm watching, the type of coffee I'm drinking or how I'm drinking that coffee, my current favorite lunch spot, brand of running shoes I'm wearing. Whatever I get into, I get into. You can ask my wife about this and I become an evangelist about it. It becomes my one thing. I notice it starts to consume me. We can do this with all kinds of things in our lives. As much as we wish God was our one thing, as much as we say that he is, often it's something else in life. What's your one thing? What's the thing that consumes you? You could actually probably um, sort of go backwards and look at some of your fears and see what your fears reveal about what the real one thing is in your life that you're living for. But here's the reality. Um, If anything other than God is your one thing, it will absolutely consume you. And it will take you over. Your quest for success will consume you. Your quest for controlling every variable in your life will consume you. Your quest for being liked by everyone will consume you. Only God was meant to be your one thing. And any time we try to make something other than God our one thing, it will eat us alive and ultimately it will destroy us. Um, Life will click into place as it is supposed to when God becomes our one thing. That does not mean life will be easy or always happy or successful and it will never suffer again. Doesn't mean that, but it does mean that life will click into place and will align in a way that it never has before, because we were made to be in relationship with God. He made us in such a way that He, only He, is designed to be our one thing. And how does the Psalm end? Not with resolution, at least not the resolution that we might want. Look at verse 14. Wait for the Lord. Be strong, let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. It ends with waiting. Um, And even though fears may be alleviated, um, even though we may be safe in the Lord, we still have this posture of waiting on God, yielding to Him, depending on Him, paying attention to how He's at work, letting God be in the driver's seat. Um, As you watch those kids on the diving board at the pool, there is one factor that's a game changer in their confidence and their willingness to jump. I saw this when my own kids were learning to go off the diving board. I see it time and time again with the little ones uh, at our pool. Um, If the child is standing up there alone, all by themselves, uh, they're going to be almost paralyzed in fear. And a lot of the time, they're not going to make the jump, but they're going to turn around and, and waddle back on that diving board and crawl back down the ladder, and they won't jump. But if the child's father gets in the pool and swims out, beneath the diving board, and begins treading water beneath that diving board, um, suddenly everything changes. Um, Rather than looking out at this big, scary abyss, the child looks out and they see their father. And uh, before they jump, they have to make sure that their father's really going to catch them. And so they'll say, Dad, do you promise you're going to catch me? Um, Don't move when I jump. Hey, Dad, when I jump, don't let my head go underwater. You promise you're going to stay right there and catch me when I jump. And the dad promises, and they have the confidence to jump, and so they jump. Why? Because their father promised to be there. Here's why we can be confident and safe in the face of our fears, and that we can continue to wait on the Lord, because He will be there for us. Always. How do we know? The death and resurrection of Jesus is proof. Um, The cross is where Jesus faced his fears head on and died the death that you and I deserve to die so that we can face our fears now knowing that they are no longer ultimate. Um, His resurrection was proof of God's faithfulness, was proof that he would be there, was proof that we can trust him, and was proof that the things that we now fear no longer have power over us that our enemies no longer have fear over us, that our sin really has been conquered, that justice will be served, that the sad things that we have experienced or will experience in the future will one day be fully redeemed and healed. If you're in a position in life right now where you're just standing at the edge of the diving board and your fear is paralyzing you, know that your Father is with you, that He's got you, And that He is greater than anything that you're fearing. Uh, With God, we have nothing to fear. Without God, we have everything to fear. So the question to think about is, is God really your safety? Have you hidden yourself in Him? Have you made God the most central part of your life? If not, there's opportunity to do so this morning by putting your faith in Jesus. Stop trying on your own. Surrender everything to Him confess that you need Him, cry out to Him. And if that is intriguing to you, let's talk after the service. But won't you receive Him by faith today? Let's pray. Our Father, thank You that You've given us words to name our fears, to bring them before You. That You've told us, You've shown us You're our safety. And that You've set things up in such a way where life works as it should when You're our one thing. Oh, Father, would you be our one thing afresh today? And for any here who don't believe, God, would you stir in them, give them the gift of faith, that they might find a a safety and a peace in hiding themselves in you that they've never experienced before. And Father, would you meet us now as we prepare to come to your table? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just take a a moment or two and silently reflect.